Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now. From the dirt tracks across Australia, welcome to Inside Speedway with Dennis Newman and Craig Revelle. Zenith, Newland, what a great week to be uh, joining you as we're starting to really see things moving back again in terms of uh, community sport and also in other forms of motor racing. So the light is definitely uh, visible at the end of the tunnel. And, well, we're looking forward to a great interview today. Part one of a two-part interview with uh, someone that most people around Australia know well, Tony Loxley. Very interesting views as well that he will be sharing with the listeners. I'm quite sure of that. And um, we can talk to him about his books and his years. He was also an editor of Speedway Racing News. So that will be uh, over a two-part series, as you say. And he's certainly got a lot of things to say. I'm I'm looking forward to this. Wasn't he in competition for a while there? Oh, a little while, um, and, and I mean, um, I might add very friendly competition uh, at that. And uh, he did uh, he did a splendid job. He's um, he's got a, a real craft. Uh, he's developed into a very good writer as well. And it, it, it takes years to, to hone that craft. Believe me, I know. <laughs> and um, he's uh, he's. Um, produced some beautiful books and there there are plenty more uh, in the pipeline as well and uh, that will be something that uh, Tony can expand on and he's had some beautiful books in the past uh, produced and one I was very closely involved with was really uh, very much um, it was it was a job that I really enjoyed and that was Ghost in the Bullpens, the history of the Sydney showground and that was a, a very successful book but um He's um, he's got a lot of uh, a lot of things going for him, and in the book publishing world, and um, and he's got some very very as I said just a minute ago, very interesting views on the sport and how it's promoted and the competitors, and it will be an enlightening interview, I guarantee you. <laughs> now, news wise, you've got some uh, great sedan car news. Uh, coming out well, of uh, was out of Victoria or South Australia? Sorry, I missed the. Uh, uh, no, no, um, uh, Queensland. Um, um, good, good competitor over many, many years with a great history in the sport. He's coming up for his next season. Will be his fiftieth consecutive season of racing. Because I'm referring to Wayne Randall from Queensland, uh, and a, a, one of the pioneer competitors too in the very early years of Lismore Speedway, and the Randall family still heavily involved with Lismore Speedway. And Wayne uh, was telling me that uh, next season, the Queensland Super Sedan Association have announced a 14-round series, the Macosca Super Sedan series, businessman and, and sedan racer. Bob McCosker is the sponsor of this series, and uh, it's it's great. It's a, it's one of the long-running series. It, it probably lives in the shadow of World Series sprint cars, uh, uh, it's probably fair to say, but this, this particular super sedan competition throughout Queensland has been going for quite a number of years now, and this year again, as I said, they've trimmed it back a little bit. They're, they've got 14 rounds. They've had 
in past years more, but um, they're, they're looking at budgets and, and of course, we, we are getting back after the, the height of the uh, COVID uh, corona pandemic, but they've erred on the side of caution, which is good, and they've only got 14 rounds of their series. I, only, I say only. They've been known in the past to have upward of 20 rounds. But it goes to a lot of the country tracks throughout Queensland, uh, you know, where we're talking Gympie, Maryborough, um, Rockhampton. Um, I know Bundaberg has been in past years on their list. And, of course, it's calling into Lismore this year, that, uh, and, or sorry, next year, uh, the 2021 season, uh, February the 20th, 2021, at um, the Lismore Speedway. And uh, Craig Wayne was talking about uh, the development of a, of a, a V8 engine, a Chevy V8 engine, uh, that's a crate motor, and um, it's not the cheapest engine you can go racing with in super sedan racing but it's certainly not the most expensive. It's aimed at a budget for the races, the budget races in particular, and you can buy a very competitive motor with all the trick bits for $20,000. And in this day and age, that's not too bad. And they're encouraging through their super sedan ranks, the drivers coming into super sedan racing in Queensland uh, to go with this motor um, it is available, and it's certainly a way, probably looking to the future too, because we all know costs of racing, that's the biggest enemy of all, any category, anywhere, anytime. And full marks to the Queensland Super Sedan Association for looking at ways of these crate engines. I know the V8 Dirt Modifieds have done something very, very similar. So it's all about racing budgets and this upcoming series for the Queensland Super Sedan Association will be, again, very competitive. They've got all the heavy hitters here, Craig, you know, a multinational champion in both late models, super sedans and whatever else, uh, Darren Kane, absolute icon of sedan racing in this country. He will be there. Matty Pascoe, former, you know, uh, a multi-title uh, winner, state national champion, uh, you know, Sean Black, you, you, you've got Wayne Randall, you've, you've got a whole heap of competitive drivers who really know how to go about their super sedan racing. The good news is as well that the numbers in the ranks as far as car counts are concerned are on the increase. So super sedans have had a struggle uh, there's no doubt Queensland is the strongest state for super sedan racing, but even their ranks a few years back started to diminish in numbers, car counts. But according to Wayne Randall yesterday, he um, is very confident now. They, they've turned the corner. They had a bit of a slump, which is, you know, the, the, that's in any category, and they're, they're on the way back. So, it's great news. If you're a super sedan follower and you're listening to our coverage and you you live in Queensland and they'll also be appearing at the Brisbane Archerfield Speedway next season, um, catch some of the super sedan action. I think you'll be impressed. All right. And we have got some other news, which is interesting to see because uh, Nowra, of course, had uh, some money given to them by Speedway Australia to upgrade their uh, circuit, do some track and fence repairs. And Speedway Australia does have their um, 
their grants that are available for clubs to be able to go there and and do some upgrading of the track facilities and also the state governments now trying to get the economy moving again have been putting out some money. So anyone who went to Simpson Speedway this year got to enjoy the new lighting that they put in from their grant from the Victorian government. And for tracks in Western Australia, the Western Australian government has announced a $12 million fast track community sports grant program. So anyone out there who's part of a Speedway club in Western Australia needs to get a hold of Ross Kirby at Speedway Australia because they've got to get the ball rolling, get things uh, up to the government by September 11. And it normally takes a bit of work to put together a grant, but some of the clubs probably have a, a shopping list full of things that they would love to do if they could get some extra funding. And at the moment, Western Australia is calling for it. I might add that I know in karting, um, a kart club, a small kart club like uh, Grenfell has just received in the last three weeks two different grants uh, from the New South Wales government. So hopefully the New South Wales tracks are also looking at what might be available in the way of government funding to help them uh, do some upgrades as well. But I know for the Grenfell Car Club, they got one grant to put in some uh, solar panels and to get the, the club up and running on solar energy rather than, than having to uh, pay for the electricity off the grid. And then they've just got another grant, a substantial grant, I can't think of the exact amount, for resurfacing works and and the like of the racetrack. So um, there's money out there for, for uh, clubs to do development on their track and tracks and it's a good idea to have a look around at what the state governments are doing by the way of community sporting grants because particularly for the uh, club run tracks, Dennis, they have a a great opportunity to uh, say this is how we help our community and we'd love to have some more help from the government. Well, let's be honest, Craig, uh, club run tracks are the life blood of Australian Speedway. The uh, the fact that uh, so many of these venues are, are dependent on, on a lot of volunteer workers in their own clubs, et cetera, et cetera, and that's how they operate. So any grant is always not only very much appreciated, but it's, it's very valuable to continuing upgrading programs. And I also know Speedway Australia have been behind this for, for quite a number of years now uh, to uh, implement um, standards, improved standards, and, and very importantly, improved standards of safety uh, uh, for not only competitors but uh, spectators as well. And uh, this, this is a very good scheme and with government getting involved, uh, at, at any kind of involvement from that level has got to be good for the sport. That's very much so, Dennis. Well, as we mentioned, Tony Loxley, part one, is up next here on Inside Speedway. Inside Speedway is available on sportsradio.com.au, iTunes, Spotify, and the Dirt Track Channel.com. Well, it's great to have on the line now with us from Full Throttle Publishing, Tony Loxley. And Tony, uh, thanks for joining us here on Inside Speedway. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Dennis, for having me on, mate. It's interesting. When did you first rock up at a speedway and have it hook you as it has done? Okay, well, yeah, it's a long time ago now, but. Uh, 
Um, look, I, but my parents took me to the speed when I was a little boy, uh, the tea popper, really. Um, and uh, I believe they took me to Westmead too, but uh, of course I was only about two or three years old at the time, so I have no memory of that. But um, the late 60s, I do have some you know, blurry memories of uh, all the excitement from the shows around the own cage, which is that um, I was probably only six years old at the time, so again, it's all blurred. I, I think the really the, the really strong memories I have were probably from 1976, 1977. And uh, I know a few of my books I've written, uh, my initial four aims of speedway was around about that time. So, yeah, look, I'd say around about that time, particularly um, when Parramatta Speedway opened. I, I think at that time, my love of the sport really exploded, you know. So, yeah, it's been a while ago, I guess, now. So what was your first job? First time you had an article or a photo published? Well, it was with you, actually. I Believe it or not, I used to um, babysit uh, uh, Dick Britton's wife's children. Um, so that was probably 1980. And uh, Dick was still racing at the time. Um, but he and Robin used to go out and, uh, uh, to the country music uh, uh, concerts and that. So they asked me one day if I, you know, I was living at Eastwood and they were close by and I'd met them both. Uh, through mutual friends, and uh, I said, yeah, look, I, of course, Dick being a, someone that really opened my eyes and uh, was someone that I was, I guess, gobsmacked to know, you know the, the fantastic champion that he's been. Um, I said, yeah, no problem at all. So I was looking after uh, their kids, and uh, I started doing cartoons. I was always interested in artwork and um, at school as well. Uh, I loved art, and I loved photography too, so the two worked quite well together, but yeah, I, I just started uh, when I bought the magazines of the day, Speedway Star, etc. Um, I would see a, a favourite photograph and uh, I thought, well, I'll see if I can make it into some form of comic uh, style drawing. So, yeah, I, I guess I did that. And, um, you know, I did Dick Britton, Gary Rush and George Tatnell and Gary Patterson, all those guys in comic form. And I think I remember at Speedway in the 1980-81 season, I wandered up to one Dennis Newlin with some of my artwork, and uh, I think you ended up publishing one about Dick Britton losing his uh, five Australian title mantle to Gary Rush, who just won six. So, yeah, a long time ago, but uh, that was my first real input into Speedway. Tony, I remember the night as though it was only yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, it's incredible. To me. Yeah, and and if I remember rightly, I think you said Mr. Newland. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Mr. Newland. Uh, prior to that, I'd actually spoken to um, uh, uh, Stuart Telfer, and Stuart told me, you know, I, I tend to someone who might like them, it's Dennis Newland. So then um, he pointed me in the right direction, and uh, very sheepishly, I walked up to you. <laughs> and I remember that like it was yesterday as well. Yeah, 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 and you showed me this great cartoon, and I said, can I take that, Tony? And I, I didn't say any more, really. I just said, look, do you mind if I take that? I'd like to, to have this. And anyway, and then the next thing, um, I think, I think, if I remember rightly, would have been a week or so later, we had, of course, we had our merchandising T-shirt caravan there at the track every week, and I'd had just the latest issue printed, and uh, much to your surprise, um, I 
think it was on about page five or six, there was your cartoon in my Speedway Illustrated. And I remember that night I could see how enthusiastic you were. So I said, why don't we just uh, walk down into the pit area and we'll have a bit of a guided tour, you know? Yeah, that's I right. Guess, and, Tony, and really, I mean, that's how it all came together. That's right. And I actually had um, my uh, camera with me at the time. And so basically, That's right. uh, Dennis, you were the first guy to, uh, you know, allow me into the, well, I guess Sid Hopping did, but, uh, you know, with your support, um, I was uh, allowed into the pits and, well, it was like seventh heaven, wasn't it? You know, it's, uh, here I am in the middle of the pits, you know, Gary Rush and George Tatnell and, um, you know, Steve Brady and Rob and Kev Worthington, Bobby Tunk, you know, like. For me, it was uh, you know, to see these people from afar for so many years, and then all of a sudden you're right up next to them. You know the rub, rub, rub of the V8 engines and the smell of methanol, and um, just the action in the the pits. You know, I was taking photographs as you were walking alongside me, and no, you really looked after me because I think at the time I was probably fifteen, sixteen. So you know, I was, I was still pretty young and naive, I guess. But uh, my love of the sport had been cemented. Uh, and was cemented at that time. And, uh, uh, you know, guys like um, Bill Forsyth and a few others, uh, Phil Christensen and people like that, you know, uh, Bill in particular with the camera gear and he used to loan me a lot of that. And uh, Chris, though, I think, uh, would um, publish my first photo in a magazine, which was actually Supercars. So I was doing Supercars. And, um, mm. and, and Tony, yeah. I, I might add too, too that that was not only uh, the, the start of it all, but, but it, it didn't take uh, too long for you to show your prowess with getting some great photos. I, I know at first it took a while to get onto the infield at Parramatta Raceway, and and it did. Uh, you know, it's like anything. New boy on the block takes a while to to get everything settled. And but when you did, and I think if I remember rightly, Tony, and just bear me out on this, I think yep. one of the real breakthroughs for you. Uh, am I right in saying when you got involved, I think the JPS Kinsers is one of their photographers with um, WD and HO Wills, Coca-Cola, Amatil, to supply some photos for their various um, marketing posters, etc. You were involved. I know Bill Meyer was also involved, but you were one of the one of the photographers involved. I think I'm pretty right. Is that how the that would have been a couple of well, a couple of years after you've three years after you got involved. Yeah, pretty much. I think uh, I'd been doing some work for Oval Track at the time and uh, uh, David Allen's own magazine at the time. And I think I, I did a few uh, covers for you for some sprint car one-offs and speedway one-offs. And uh, um, I sort of established myself then. But at the same time, uh, while I was photographing, I was also crowing for Trevor Shields, the sprint car driver, the PX Kiwi. And uh, there's some incredible, <laughs> some incredible memories there. You know, you're thinking about the turn one judges and Ivan Wilson and, and all the boys who used to all travel together to the Easter Trails and, you know, up to Newcastle and down to Canberra. And well, it was a boys' own adventure for me. But yeah, look, I, I think um, most of all, uh, it was probably around the 1985 season, 84 5 season, that um, uh, Ian Kleeman from Rothman um, got me to do some work for him as well. And um, because back then, of course, you know, you were using, there was no digital photography and you were using pretty basic cameras, well, I was anyway, um, compared to the, to the professionals. But I guess I just knew how to use a camera and I used uh, Kodachrome 64 
and Kodachrome 200 slide film, which was the, the colours today are still incredible. They've, they've held up so well. And the black and white, of course, try it. And, um, yeah, look, I, I had some great contacts in those days, uh, which sort of makes me sad, you know, because, of course, Ian Kleeman's gone now and, you know, the, the times are so much different. I don't think a lot of the photographers these days who come into the scene have a clue as to how difficult it actually used to be to photograph, not just uh, in general, but particularly motorsports, you know, it was a very, very tough scenario and you had to, you know, meet deadlines and that. And, uh, but again, Bill Forsyth was fantastic. And, uh, but but uh, I think um, my first Speedwave um, photographs were still with, with your magazine, Dennis. So, uh, and then, of course, Oval Track and, uh, and I just moved on from there. It was great. Yeah, that's right. Now, now, Tony, I've got to always say over the years, I've, I've, I've seen you take some incredible photos. Like, you have an eye for a different type of photo. Now, what I mean by that, that might be a helmet on a right rear tyre, just a, a mud-covered helmet, or yeah. a driver looking straight at you through the, through the cockpit and, and you can just see so focused. Tony... What do you look for? I mean, the action f- shots take care of themselves and the trophy presentation shots, but you go yeah. beyond that. Tony, what well, what do you look for as different when you think, I'm going to grab that photo right there and then? Well, well, back uh, when I first started, um, I, I had some really good role models. Uh, you know, again, Bill Forsyth, as you know, is a good friend of yours and a, one of the great motorsport photographers, one of the great commercial photographers in, in, in Australia at the time, and uh, there was David Cumming as well. Um, Bill Meyer, of course, was a hero of mine, and uh, you know, Don Hogarth and uh, uh, Bruce Hunt and guys like that. They, they were fantastic photographers. I, I think in the early days, I you only used to see just race photos, race photos after race photos, all beautifully posed photos, and you feel like Bill Meyer used to do and David Cumming, et cetera. But I wanted to go further than that. I thought, you know, the thing that appealed to me was the, the, the actual, the intensity of the sport. And to capture the intensity of the sport, you needed to get in close. And you needed to, you know, just, uh, the, the, what makes it intense is the, the drivers themselves, you know. The, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't unusual to see a driver, particularly Gary Rush comes to mind or Steve Brazier after they won an A-main or finished the place, their hands would be shaking while they put the old lung buster into the mouth, you know. Um, and I wanted to capture that. You know, drivers just sitting in the dummy grid, their eyes, you know, focused for the job ahead. Because, you know, whether it was in a midget or a sprint car or a uh, sedan or a solo or sidecar, which I photographed all of that that time, um, you know, that, that intensity before the tapes go up, you know, the rider was looking at the starter, you know, and that tape's about to leave and, and their eyes are as wide as saucepans ready to go into that first corner. And that's what I wanted to capture. And I think. You know, uh, it was very tough to do it back then too because, of course, digital technology makes it easy today. But then you only had 24 or 36 images in each roll of film. So, you know, you had to be pretty smart with what you were doing. You couldn't take a lot of them. Um, you know, today photographers rattle off thousands of pictures a night. So it doesn't matter anymore. But back then you had to be smart, you know, and um, guys like people you know fairly well, you know, John Mahoney, um, uh, Mike, Arthur, uh, Gene, uh, sorry, Jim Chinney from America and guys like that, they, they were the leaders in that sort of stuff. They, they did a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, and I just thought, you know, if I can get these sort of images, it's going to give people 
uh, up in the grandstand uh, a better chance to see what it's all like behind the scenes. And that was very important to me. And, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's, it's, uh, and I still do it today. You know, it's, it's a different medium today. But, um, yeah. yeah. Well, I, it, I, it I think, is, and you do it very you do it very well, Tony, and it's a different world, the, the, the digital world now. Tony, what was the stepping stone? Because after getting photos in various race publications, then you started to look at maybe doing one of special, two of your own special magazines. Then you looked at books. Just take us through the stepping stone, Tony. Okay. Well, my first book was 1985. It was just called Sprint Cars. Now, the reason I did that is I'd, I'd seen a, a book on the uh, – on the book stands that was put out by Mike Hardy, who was a photographer, this sort of beautiful old road racing photography, and had also dabbled into Speedway as well and uh, had done a few one-offs magazines, as you remember, that used to go into news agents, uh, Speed, Speedway magazine and some, you know, road racing pictorials, etc. And then one day I saw you know, a hard case book, which was called Holden versus Ford, and it was uh, a hardbound book with a dust jacket and uh, it's all stitched together and it, it just looked like something that you would get, you know, Formula One would dish out or, you know, NASCAR or Indianapolis 500 would put out. Or, um, and I thought, you know, Speedway's never had a hardbound book before. Um, maybe I'll have a give, you know, give it a go. So I uh, got in contact with Mike and then he put me through to the publisher whose name was Morris Kelly. Um, <laughs> I will tell you little that I know at the time, he was straight as porno king, but that's another story for another day. However, he was very kind to me and uh, he brought me into um, his office. Um, he had his own printing machine, like a, a huge Heidelberg printing machine. And uh, so he used to print off his, um, whatever you call those magazines. Uh, the children with him, I apologise. But uh, at the same time, to keep the presses running, uh, he would do beautiful motor racing books and he was a motor racing fan. So we did a deal with him and uh, we ended up doing a, a book called Sprint Cars, which is pretty much covering five years of my work, you know, four or five years of my work only. Uh, and it sold out <laughs> very quickly. He did a soft-down edition and it sold out very quick. Um, I, I had put out uh, a few years later, uh, probably five years later, I did Cage Teeth, this guy called Jeff Paradise, who sadly passed away. But he had Street Machine at the time and Fast Forward and Rotary. And I, I was doing Beautiful Colour magazines as well. But I think the books... The magazines were great, and when I was editor of Speedway Racing News, I think from 92 to 98, um, it was always my dream to do something that could be the shop window for the sport. Uh, and Peter Mackay, uh, actually, uh, Peter Mackay, sorry, uh, said to me, you know, what you want is a shop window for the sport, and that's what I've tried to give the sport. So I guess the first book I did was, um, I think in conjunction with yourself, Dennis, and... Uh, and um, uh, Darkie, and um, uh, if I could remember his name, Ivan Palmer, of course. And and we did that book together, and um, pretty much I wanted to do my own publication, so I think the first one I did was the Liverpool City Raceway, uh, part one, and uh, that was over 10 years ago now, and I've just reprinted it, but... Uh, I just wanted to do something that could be the shop window for the sport. I, I believe that the sport deserved, and the drivers and riders and the fans and everybody who was involved in the sport deserved to have something that they could put on their coffee table or they could put onto their um, the shelf of their motor racing library. 
And, you know, on a cold winter's day, they could pull these books out and thumb through the pages and enjoy the incredible imagery that we've got inside them and wonderful first-person stories from the competitors themselves and those involved. Um, and that's why I did them. You know, it's, it's been a love affair with doing books, but uh, I've done a lot of other things too. Uh, but the books are something that are very dear to me, but I've sort of branched out a little bit now and uh, gone into some other things, posters and Yes, you're expanding, Tony. That's that's yes, that's what I was just going to ask you, Tony. You're expanding. You're, you're going into other very impressive areas. I just hark back to one of the books that I took uh, great enjoyment out of being involved with, and you know how special this was to me. The yeah. book on the history of the Sydney Showground, Ghost in the Ball. Oh, the Ghost in the Ball. I mean, Pins. that was yeah. that. <laughs> that was a love affair with me. <laughs> well, um, look, uh, let me tell you something great, about the Ghost know. in the Bullpen. That, that, that's a book that I could never have believed hadn't been done prior. The, the name Ghost in the Bullpen, uh, like Cage Heat, I came up with as I, I you know, tried to put myself into a, a zone where I could think of something that would mean a lot to a lot of people. And uh, I always remember those stories because I used to stand near the bullpens at the showgrounds um, in the 70s, particularly the 78, 79, 80 season. And, you know, I I used to see so many bad crashes there and uh, there were so many bad crashes in the 60s, etc. I always thought there would be a ghost there, like the ghost of the, the competitors who had passed away, you know, and, and what a better seat in the house to be able to stay there and watch for the rest of the eternity, you know. And and I guess it was a play on words, ghost of the bullpens and the cover reflected that, but that book could not have been done without you, Dennis. I've got to say, it, it was a Herculean task to put that together. It was very frustrating. And you've got to remember, Dennis, every one of these books I've done in the last 20 years, nearly, I've been working as a, I was working as a cop, you know, so I'd be doing 12-hour shifts or a lot longer by the time you get home or overtime or you lock up some black bag and spend hours charging him and that. And, uh, um it was a hell of a lot of work, and and every one of those books now, I can tell you that is is an absolute blur. It, it's a blur, but the ghost in the bullpens was incredibly special to me because I think we were able to capture something unique that should have, I believe, as I said before, been captured before. It's just a shame so many of the greats are no longer around. You know, when we had that incredible launch, Dennis, do you remember that the launch at the Sydney Showground? I mean. I couldn't count how many people were there and how many former competitors. It was just incredible. I, Tony, I can tell you, I think it topped it around about, and I'm not exaggerating here, and for the listeners, this is exactly how it was on the day. It was a massive crowd. I think we topped, Tony, bear me out on this, I think it was about 565 people. Some, something like that. Mark. Well, I, I, I know yes. the... Uh, the hotel we had it at at the, at the side of the Sydney showroom um, said, "Look, we can't let any more people in. We're going <laughs> to we're going to get busted, you know, by the, the licensing." Well, well that's right. And they and they told us they're, they're running out of food. They're running out of everything. Yep. They can't don't yep. don't get any. Is there any more people coming? And, and yep. it was it was just chock a block with people all day. Uh, yep. Now you know, Tony, that to me tells about the significance. Not only of the book, creating history there with what that book was, 
the, the venue, it all came together perfectly. And i got to say, we had some magnificent media coverage, mainstream media coverage. 2GB, yeah. David Berthon, gave, gave us an incredible time on air. And now on the section, he devoted the and Alan Jones, Ray Hadley, they devoted yep. time and motoring section with David Berthon. His Saturday morning segment was devoted to the book. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Look, I, you know, like, I, I it just it all came together. Yeah, look, and and, and credit to Andrew Green. You know, uh, Andrew did the artwork um, as as Gavin had done the artwork. So Gavin Skeen, a brilliant photographer, a lovely guy, uh, just one of the great talents we have in. Uh, um, photography and art. Um, I did the Liverpool uh, books, but yeah, look, it was a it was a wonderful occasion, and and it was something unique. And I don't think there had been a gathering in Speedway history that big. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure that hadn't uh, ever occurred that big. And I was very very proud, and I was proud to see so many people turn up and reminisce that day. And and they reminisced until early in the morning. They were walking around what's left of the old track there, and. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I was walking around with Warren Sullivan and, and, and his wife, and uh, who was a great sidecar rider, of course, and, you know, just remembering, you know, I, I remember us crashing here, and I remember, you know, you know racing uh, Doug Robson down the back straight just about this point. You'd come up straight in the bike, and it was just incredible, you know, and the problem was for me, I it just happened so fast, I couldn't actually take it all in. There was just so many people to talk to, as you know, and Steve Raymond did a wonderful job uh, under tough circumstances. I just didn't think we'd have that many people there and we had all the old cars and bikes and it was the perfect, perfect time for us and um, we've done some great books since and uh, you have some great books coming out but I, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed in the sport in some regards though, you know, like I I've, um, I've put so much energy, and so has Andrew and yourself, and so many others have put so much energy into these beautiful books, you know, which rival uh, anything done in um, anything done in road racing or anything like that. And we, uh, I just don't think the recognition is there for all the efforts that, that we've done um, over the years, and it, it makes me really, really sad. You have done some road racing books, and in fact, uh, two are still available uh, to buy uh, on the Tasman Cup and on F5000, which I think is getting a new lease of life through uh, Chris Lambden's efforts to get the uh, the new Formula 5000 class up and running in Australian motorsport. Well, absolutely. You know, um, that's right, um, mate. It's, uh, I, I remember... I remember the moment that I thought I was going to go and do these road racing books. Uh, I was sitting at home and I just finished watching a, um, a compilation of Formula 5000 uh, videos and I just came up with this idea out of the blue. that said, I'm going to do a book on Formula 5000. And, and the reason I wanted to do that was because they were my favourite road racing category. I just don't think anything came close to Formula 5000. And I was lucky enough to photograph the last few years of the racing and, of course, witness some of the races as well. And I just thought they were the ants' pants. So I contacted people like Kevin Bartlett and uh, um, Warwick Brown and so many others and uh, got some fantastic help from some of the, the 
the people who were deeply involved at the time in road racing, particularly the journalist's point of view. And we just started to assemble everything. And and I, I couldn't actually believe that uh, it became that became very successful book. And and then of course I followed it up with Tasman Cup. I thought, well if I can do this one, I'll do this I'll do the next one. I pretty much did the Tasman Cup on my own. But you know, we had Jack Brabham, we had Richard Atwood, we had Chris Amon, we had uh, Jackie Stewart in that. We, we we had some of the greats of not just motor racing, well, but of world sport. You know, to, to have Jack Brabham and Jack Stewart do the forwards for me for that book, along with Warwick Brown again, uh, who is a wonderful bloke. Um, I was just blown away, you know, and uh, it's, they're, they're stunning books. And and I think my proudest moment um, was when. Uh, Bruce McLaren's daughter uh, contacted me and bought a, a, a whole heap of the books, 5,000 and uh, Tasman Cup, and took them back to England, Amanda um, McLaren, and just raved and raved and raved about it. And the funny thing is, you know, he's a, just a, a guy from Speedway who, who did these beautiful books. But what I think sad, Dennis and, and Glenn, is that Road racing was so good to me. Those guys took me in and treated me so well. You know, they they made they put me up on a pedestal which I'd never felt before, and um, they heaped this praise on me which I'd never received prior, and I'll never forget them for it. You know, like uh, these guys just did things in a different level to what the speedway guys did. You know, nothing against the speedway, not at all. It's my first love; it always will be. However. They made me feel a lot more special. You know, they, they took an interest. They supported me. They supported me financially, and, and people uh, put money into this book. And I didn't even ask. You know, they just wanted to see it happen. And that's the big difference between road racing and speedway. I found that you know, there's a lot more respect for the people who are doing good things for the sport than what we receive back in speedway. You know, I sometimes think if I went away tomorrow, I don't think speedway would care. You know, well, I, I don't. I know they wouldn't. Some would, but most people wouldn't. And, and that's that's sad because that's the essence of the sport that we live in today. Um, having said that, I still persist with Speedway, and I and I love it. Um, but now I'm going to move into rugby league as well. So we'll see what happens there. I've got a great deal with two incredible writers, um, Alan Whitaker and Ian Collins. They've done some fantastic rugby league books, and. Um, and I guess the reason I'm doing that is probably a lot to do with the disappointment in the sport and the way it's, you know, probably run these days. It's just not a lot of fun that it used to be. And that's not against anybody in particular. It's just the way the sport's been allowed to go. I miss the days of the Australian Speedway Promoters Association and how everyone used to work in together. You know, you would look forward to the Americans coming and the... I mean, David Capati's riders come out to Series 500 National Speedway Masters. That was fantastic. And, you know, it just doesn't exist anymore, which is a terrible, terrible shame. And, um, yeah, that, that's one of the biggest disappointments for me today, which is why I'm looking at other avenues. But, you know, Speedway is a great love. And I know I, I joke sometimes with guys like Glenn Cox and you know, Steve McAvoy and that about, you know, the midgets with wings and, you know, the sprint cars versus midgets versus, you know, every other category. But at the end of the day, I love all motorsports. I, I truly do. I love Indianapolis. I love the Le Mans cars. I love Formula One. I have massive collections of books on everything. Um, 
But I also believe, and this is probably something that may get some a uh, little upset with me, but I, I believe people like yourself, Dennis, and Bill Meyer and others in the media who've done terrific things have not been rewarded over the years. And I think that's terribly sad because you you, you put your heart and soul into the sport and, you know, when you when, when you work day and night to produce something for the sport, for the competitors, for their sponsors, and you put it out there under the newsstand, and then you go and do it the next week and the next week and the next week. You do that for years after year after year. And then, you know, you just bypass by people who've come and gone so quickly. I think that's really sad, you know. Um, I've never had an ego. I'm really not interested in it. I don't care if I ever get an award for the Speedway. It doesn't really worry me. Um, I got bravery awards from the police and they cover anything like that. That's real stuff. But I think there are special people like yourself, Dennis, um, and like I said, Bill Meyer, etc., who do deserve to be recognised uh, and, and recognised properly. And sadly, the sport doesn't seem to do that, in my opinion. Tony, that's very nice of you to say that, and and I and I can't really comment on it because um, I mean, all I'll just say is I think probably over the time that I've been involved in the sport, um, I, I could probably write a book for you on the highs and lows, and that's only from the media side of it, <laughs> um, yeah. without yeah. talking about anything to do with the sport, the racing side of it. But, but I hear what you're saying, and I don't know why it is that Speedway is like that. I mean, you, they, they recognise their peer, peer peers in rugby league and horse racing, cricket, tennis, you name it. Um, uh, yet I don't know what it is with Speedway. I, I've always said to you privately, and, and I'm not including myself I mean, I'm including a lot of other people. You mentioned Bill Meyer, and there's a, there's a there's a lot of other devoted people who were involved in the sport. The late Bill Meyer is a prime example here. We Ken, have Ken Brown, dedicated our you know? lot. Ken Brown, exactly right. And and you, you know what, Tony? I I just don't know what it is with this sport. I I, I mean, I I'm, I can't come up. I hear what you're saying, but I don't have an answer. Put it that way. Yeah. Look, I, I, I see it this way. I, I think it's uh, – um, back in the days I, when I was writing Speedway Racing News, and as you will well remember running Illustrators and, and the magazines of the 70s, you could ring up a promoter and you could ask some questions. You can't do that anymore. You could ring a competitor and, and, and ask questions. Well, you can't really do that anymore. Not, not a lot of them talk like they used to in the, the older days. You know, um, They're a lot more approachable too. I think the electronic medium has ruined a lot, you know, like – Everyone's got their head buried in a, a phone these days. You know that they, they, they should really have their head buried in a book or a magazine, because um, number one, those the phones we will have uh, some serious eye problems and head problems in years to come. Um, people have forgotten how to communicate, but that's one of the great issues I think today. You know, people just can't communicate, and it's a different world we live in. You know, I, I remember like guys like Rushy and and George Tatnell and and, and uh, Steve Brazier and, and, and all these the Coxes and uh, you know the guys who used to race in the 70s, 60s, 80s, even in the early 90s, used to build their own cars, pay for their own cars, race on the weekend only if they could afford it. You know they used to work all week as hard as they could to afford to race. Um, it's a different era these days. You know you've got more drivers driving for wealthy owners, and, and uh, you know that's just the way it is. But I, I think we've lost a lot of uh, 
very, very important aspect. And, and one of it is communication skills have died really badly. I think the lack of uh, opportunities for the crowd to get involved with the, the drivers is another huge issue, which really worries me because, you know, no more do you see the drivers amongst the crowd and uh, uh, no more do you see the drivers being presented their trophies within the crowd, like Mike and Steve Raymond, and they did so well there for a period of Parramatta on, on the uh, podium there on, amongst the fans. You know, it allows the drivers to be seen uh, up close and personal, and, and you know the drivers love that. And maybe because they don't get that anymore, maybe they they don't. It doesn't you know compute anymore. I, I don't know, but you know that's one of the most important things: getting those drivers amongst kids. Because I was a young kid. At one stage, surprise, it's surprise. <laughs> the thing is that what drew me to the sport was my heroes. You know, to, to, to see these people up close, you know, like it took my breath away when Gary Rush walked past me that time that we were in the pit, that first time. And I thought, oh, my God, it's Gary Rush. You know, well, I know Gary very well today. It doesn't have that effect on me. But back then it did, you know, like it was a, it was a shock to the system to see your heroes up close. And the drivers these days are so young and, and so different. You know, they're and nothing against them. They're terribly brave and very, very skilled and outstanding racers. Don't get me wrong. They are incredible what they do today um, in all forms of speedway and motorsport. But the thing is that it's that personal, that personal touch. I think James McFadden is one of the best I've seen. I have to say, he is great. You'll often find him at the track. He'll go up to the fence, sit down with the kids and talk to them. Um, Gary Brazier last of the characters of Speedway. Um, you know, it's just such a shame things have changed. But, you know, things change, and I understand that. But some things have changed for the worse. And, and I think the communication amongst the drivers, amongst the, the, the promoters and the crowd is, is, is really affecting the sport. Um, and it's a shame to see the way that uh, the, the great promoters have gone. You know, they just have, and they're not replaced. And, um, it's just a different world. It's a different world to, to live in as well. Uh, but, you know, such a life, mate. Part two of Tony Loxley up next week here on Inside Speedway. And, uh, yeah, fascinating chat with Tony, as we mentioned. Now, Dennis, uh, just before we wrap it up here today, uh, should mention that it's been interesting to see uh, NASCAR back running in front of uh, no crowd. IndyCars got underway at Texas. Scott Dixon took out the win there in front of no crowd. And the World of Outlaws are still going strong um, just with people watching it on TV. So that has been very interesting to see how the American tracks have gone about it. But Roger Penske this week has come out and said the Indianapolis 500 will not run in front of empty stadiums. Mm. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. I, I think as we're going into the next phase of all of this after the, the lockdown, the self-isolation um, and, the, and the world's changed, we all know that, we're gradually getting back to some degree of normality and uh, let, let's hope that not only for the sake of uh, major events like the Indianapolis 500 in Later this year, let's hope more crowds become a regular uh, thing at, at sports stadiums. Just uh, speaking of this too, uh, I might add uh, in the early hours of Saturday morning Australian time, 
as far as the bikes are concerned, uh, the first league to get up and running, I know we're still waiting to hear continuing word of uh, when there will be a start in England and, and Denmark and Sweden, but interesting here, Poland on June 12th, um, will actually start Saturday, June, sorry, Friday, June 12th, uh, will, will start their season. And, of course, that brings uh, very much in focus uh, the Australian champion, Max Frick, who will um, go around as, as they're racing behind closed doors without spectators, I hasten to add. But the Polish league is uh, up and running. And uh, that's um, that's got to be a good thing, and the bike scene also coming to life as well. It'll be interesting too, Dennis, to see if uh, we'll be able to get a live stream of that because a lot of the tracks have been doing streams of their race meetings, whether it's pay for view or whether it's uh, free. I, I don't know the answer to that, but um, we'll definitely be keeping an eye out. And, and next week on the show, if we if I do come across the live stream of those Polish races, I will uh, let everybody know. Yep, no, that's good. We, we wish uh, Max all the best, a talented, a real racer, and uh, it's good to see the world, as I said, gradually getting back to normal, be it cars or bikes, because the world of outlaws, as you said, they they continue on their merry way. No, nothing stops the world of outlaws. Yeah, <laughs> but, at, um, at, it, it's... at Beaver Dam last weekend, Brad Sweet swept the two nights of racing and they go to Knoxville and uh, I'm not sure but this could mm. be the uh, this could be a crowd because I think the Iowa wasn't it June they were going to let the crowds back in at Iowa mm. when we were that's right at exactly it so you're exactly right they might yes. be in front of a yes. crowd there which will be exciting for all race fans oh there yeah. was one other story that I was going to mention too before we leave because um without getting political Dennis there was, you know, mass protests all around the world last weekend. Well, there was a speedway in the United States that called their race meeting a protest, and I think they had about 2,000 fans turn up for the protest, yep. which uh, coincided with cars racing around the circuit. So uh, some That's in, it. In, exactly in, right. In, uh, some yeah. ingenious promotion there by uh, one of, I, I can't remember which state or yep. track it was, yep. but uh, I have heard uh, Brett Murray, who's the head of speedcafe.com, uh, did tweet during last week that he was uh, thinking about starting mm. a protest at Sydney Motorsport Park, not this weekend, but the mm. next weekend in line with the supercars race there, um, because it seems you can do whatever yeah. you like at a protest. Oh, well, it's open slather, isn't it? <laughs> oh, dearie me. Uh, just one thing there. I think I said Saturday, June 12. Uh, it's a Friday, Friday, June 12 for Max Frick. Uh, don't worry about me, Craig. I'm all right. <laughs> well, I just got the dates. But they say a journalist wouldn't know what day it is, so there you go. <laughs> well, you've got a whole week to recover until next time round on Inside Speedway. Yep, thanks very much, Craig. Always good to be with you. And um, certainly looking forward to uh, Tony Loxley next week again uh, to enlighten us with uh, his views on Australian and World Speedway. Tune in next week for more on Inside Speedway. Inside Speedway is produced by Thunder Media. 
Any reproduction, accounts, or descriptions of the program without written permission from Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now.